I'm ready. I'm so ready for this. You have no idea. Yay. I just like after sharing my birth story, I want to share it that much more. So I really appreciate you reaching out and like being willing to meet with me. You're, you're such a sweet person. I was like, Thank it you. feels really safe. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad because yeah. that's like, this is just genuinely something I love. And, you know, I love hearing people's birth stories. I love knowing that there's so many other ways that my birth experience could have gone. You know, no two births are the same. So I love hearing from everyone's different outlooks. And like when you were sharing on your live and, you know, just I was even like tuned in on that. And some of the things you were saying, I was just like, oh, my gosh, I never thought about it that way. Like just how crazy different little things in our environments or, you know, in our, you know, the, the hospital that we're in in general, whatever, like how much they vary. It's so crazy. And like, like I told you, I was doing research earlier. So I was just like researching all kinds of different um, statistics. Cause I was like, I don't know. Myra said that she's done her research and she, I remember you and your husband were talking about how much you researched before the birth. So I was like, Oh my gosh, I feel like I have to do research because she's going to be saying all these intelligent things. And I'm going to be like, what? <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, it's interesting how much research you end up doing when the risk pertains to you. You yes. know, it's like so out of necessity. And, you know, what's interesting, I mean, I don't know. Do you identify as a woman of color? Yes. yes so okay. I, I don't know if you know or you can tell. And I was going to talk about that also. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm Mexican-American. Yeah. Um, yeah. But a lot of times I'm white passing or people think I'm Asian. I, yeah. They never know what kind, but they're always just like, you're Asian. And then I have a boss who swears I'm Hawaiian. And I'm just like... <laughs> I'm Mexican, yeah. so yeah. I, I have been uh, racially conflicted my entire life just yeah. because no one ever thinks that I am what I am. What and are, when I, right? yeah, and when I do say like I'm Mexican, I'm Mexican American, and my parents are from Mexico or whatever, they're like, what? Yeah, yeah. So yes, I do yeah. identify as a Latina. Identify. You know, yes. Yes. yeah. Well, you just never know. Some people I have yeah, met, I have met biracial girls such as myself, which, by the way, is not how I identify. It's my tech technical ethnic makeup and um who don't identify as black and I'm just like staring at them like but you are black but they're like I don't so I always ask um but yeah I think just in general like we as women of color go about our day-to-day being freaking human beings and not sitting there thinking about how we're perceived or what statistics we are. We're just like living, grocery shopping, having babies, getting married, like whatever. And, you know, Lauren Hill had this really beautiful lyric in one of her songs that was like, or no, not Lauren Hill. It was Erica Badu who said, I I remember there in school one day I learned I was inferior. And um, I just love it because it's like, you don't learn that you're uh, inferior until other people treat you that way. And then it's time to rise. And so I really love speaking about this because I need, I need women of color who are giving birth to understand that this is not going to be like the cushiony, normal, quote unquote, birth experience that you're seeing on Instagram. It's going to be one where you are categorized It's and it's going to be one you're going to have to fight for some normalcy within there. And that's, you know, if you're, if you're lucky and you're in a place where you don't have to, fine. But if you're in anywhere near a larger city where mm-hmm. most people, no matter their ethnic background, are deduced to a number or a statistic or, you know, whatever it is to get them through, yes. um, you know, I think it's, 
I think it's important to arm yourself well. And that's why I started speaking up. Have you, um, have you done any podcasts yet? I know you like, I think you, where you reached out by other podcasts too. I was like, everyone's probably going to yeah. swarm for it. <laughs> yeah, no, I've had quite a few that have reached out, um, podcasts, um, some, some like, and I'm not going to name names, but some like publications that are by way of products first, but they also yeah. have like a blog on the side of it that has to do with birth. And I wasn't ready. And so now I've said yes to you. And I said yes to one other podcast that's coming on February 1st. How so. exciting. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, I love it. And I, I honestly didn't know that birth podcasts were really a thing until I thought of this idea. <laughs> so I'm like, this is something I would have needed while I was pregnant. Yeah. And I didn't even think to look for it. And then I was like, yeah. I'm going to create it because obviously there wasn't a big enough market for, of it that I didn't even know it was a thing right so it's like yeah. you know true crime podcasts are everywhere you know like <laughs> bachelor podcasts are everywhere you know you know there's an influx of all of those but with birth and parenting I was like I didn't even realize and there's some really great ones out there I just never even searched or thought about it you know yeah so I just I was like I'm just gonna put out my own it's just gonna be me talking to people and you know sharing stories because I have learned a lot through hearing other people's stories and reading other people's yeah. stories and telling my own, you know, so totally. just wanted to provide that platform for people. And I love it. I love it. I think that's wonderful. And I didn't really know it was a thing either until I started telling like a couple women after I gave birth, like, oh, yeah. Oh, you only like they'd be like, I went through 24 hours of labor. I'd be like, Oh, I had five days, and they'd be like, What? And I was like, Oh, is this not normal? Okay, yeah. I gotta like totally re envision this whole thing. <laughs> and then I had these people flocking to me to like just talk more about it. And you know, then of course, like, you know, black people are trending in this like weird political way as well. So it's just, I don't know, I don't mean to say like. Yeah, I've only decided on you and one other. Like, I have some super special birth story. It's just that I I don't I I don't always trust like the reasons for wanting to publish black totally. women's stories of torture and pain. Yeah, like we, we have enough of those in America. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. So the trick is to share it from an empowering perspective, and that's really taken me time to arrive at. I don't know that I've felt empowered until recently, and now I feel very much so. So here I am. <laughs> really? Wow. That's yeah. so amazing to hear because just from reading your posts and, you know, from what I've spoken to you and seen on your live and stuff, I'm like, that chick is badass. Like she is so strong and she is so empowering and sharing uh, this. And she, I, I've been like all in since I saw your first uh, Instagram post and I've just been like, Hell yeah. So I'm so happy that you that I've been one of the people that you're going to share that story with and my listeners. Yeah. I'm so excited. I and I like I was saying, you know, I just genuinely care about hearing these stories and sharing them. So I hope awesome. that, you know, you feel comfortable sharing whatever it is you want to share during this episode. Today on the show, I have someone that I am so excited to speak to. I found her the same way I find most people I interview that aren't already friends and family. Uh, her post made 
its way onto my Instagram page because of the hashtag birth story. And I was so glad it did. I was instantly captivated and I had to hear more about this strong woman and the experience she had when bringing life into this world. The photo I saw came across my page and it was a woman lying in a hospital bed giving a thumbs up. So I read on and wow, I can't wait for you guys to hear the story. Today I'm speaking with singer-songwriter Myra Flynn and she'll share with us her experience being a mom, having her daughter a little over a year ago, and how most recently sharing her birth story has been empowering for her. Welcome, Myra. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be here with you. I'm nervous in all the right ways. Good. (laughs) Um, So would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself in your own words, not just what I read off of your website? (laughs) (laughs) About me, like just anything about like what? Yeah, like what are you doing these days? You know, what are you, are you, yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, I've been really lucky. I've kind of been, I've lived in that sweet spot of um, musicians, like, not super famous and not a hobbyist. So I've had this like really great life of touring. Um, I've toured probably half of my year for the last 20 years. Wow. (laughs) I got signed to my first record label when I was 16 years old. So um, it's been, it's been a life of travel. It's been a life of like lots of highs, like volume on level 10. um, And and then I like met my husband. Like I, I was probably voted least likely to have a family and get married and all of those things in <laughs> high school because I was just so I've just been so uh, extroverted and belonging to the, the rest of the world and never really valued like I guess like quality of life as it looks like in a super standard way like family, husband, child. Um, and then I met Phil, and I have to say I'm. I'm so happy in this like super domestic life. And then this, <laughs> this virus hit, you know, right after we gave birth. And um, and so musically, I've been doing a lot more from home and kind of more of my side hustles, like teaching have become more of my full-time hustles. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been really wonderful because I've been able to be home with my family and I just don't even recognize myself anymore. <laughs> and I'm so happy. About it. <laughs> right. It's a good yeah. change. You're it's like, change. yeah, I have you. It sounds like you've led a very adventurous life so far and it's only going to keep being a different kind of adventure. Right. Cause now oh, you have your family with you. That's amazing. Totally. It's like stepping into, I feel like I've stepped into who I really am for the first time. It's really nice. <laughs> it's beautiful. okay so would you tell me a little bit about how you met phil sure oh my husband is hilarious so my husband grew up in los angeles but until age 14 and then his mother moved him to vermont because she i think she liked it on a movie or something he said and so just moved into vermont and i grew up in vermont and we never met in vermont and there's like five black people in vermont and we never met in vermont so i was just like so weirded out by the fact that we never met he came and saw me at a concert here in los angeles at the mint and wow. afterwards yeah crazy he posted this thing on facebook that was like so great to see fellow vermonter Myra Flynn playing in LA and doing her thing. And I looked and I was like, 
what? Like, Negro, I have never seen you in Vermont, <laughs> fellow Vermonter. There's like five of us. I would have seen you. Right. You're gorgeous. Um, and I never, ever met him there. And we had all the, like, I looked on Facebook. We had been Facebook friends for seven years. <laughs> That's hilarious. I just kept accepting people at a certain point that were, who were fans and, you know, social media hasn't really become like a personal thing in a while. So, um, so I didn't know him. And, and so we got together like the next day after I saw that post and just to talk about Vermont folks. And I was actually going through a breakup and was in no shape to be courted, was in no shape (laughs) or no makeup and just came in baggy pants and like, yeah, we're all fierce that way, but I definitely didn't feel fierce. And, and so I met up with him and six hours later, I was like, Oh, you like me. Oh, crap. What do we do about that? And Oh, my gosh. I, I actually told him I was like, you know, I'm gonna have to go through a breakup with you, if you want to date me, because I'm yeah. going through one now. And he said, sounds good. He's a really good guy. You know, I married I married the Denzel Washington of oh, I love the world. It. Like he's a class act. And I think he was probably legitimately trying to just like support another Vermont artist doing her thing. And like, I, you know, I look back and he has been liking my photos for so long. I'm just such an idiot. I'm just, I'm also <laughs> just like, unless you're just like, you know, really, I, I'm embarrassingly naive when it comes to men liking me. It's so yeah. silly. Yeah. And unless they're really overt and inappropriate, it's hard for me to tell that they actually are interested. So, you know, with Phil and he's so beautiful, he's like, and he's so, he's on TV and he's so Hollywood and his teeth are perfect. And I was just like, Ugh, this guy, Oh, like whatever. He's not, this isn't real, but right. it turns out he's fantastically layered and yeah, just wonderful. So I'm the idiot That's there and, and I'm also the winner. <laughs> yes. How long yeah. have you two been together now? So nearly four years now. Nice. Yeah. That is so exciting. How, what a beautiful love story that yeah. he was willing to, you know, be by your side knowing, okay, it may be rough. It may not be what nor- normally I would be dating someone, you know, right. but he signed up and he was like, no, this is this is going to happen. He wasn't scared. He wasn't scared. Yeah. And, and it's been, it's been a lifetime together already of just navigating, including our birth, so many situations that were going to be as um, tumultuous, you know, Uh, like, of course we met when I was going through a breakup. Of course our birth was what it was. There's been things in between, like, we're just, we're a great team. We're just built for this kind of, kind of, can I swear on a podcast? Yeah, of course. Okay. Okay. We're, we're I mark them all as explicit just because I'm like, I know I get a fuck in there at least once. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Okay, cool. I like your style. Yeah. Oh, we're built for this shit. That's what I'm saying. At one point you were like, I'm not a family person. And then you and Phil got together. And then when did you guys start talking about, you know, having a baby? And what was that like for you? Well, the relationship previous to my husband was abusive and not okay. Mm. And one where I was really like knocked down on my ass and something that really humbled me. And, you know, 
I don't want to ever make this sound like it was something good, but the type of person I was before that, always traveling, always in a new city, always, always, always gone. It made me so cocky. Like I wasn't treating the men in my life very well at all. Like I would have these relationships with them where we would go through these like instant stages of love. And then as soon as it was like getting hard, I'd be like, well, I guess I'm going to go tour over here now. And I would just leave. So I think that, you know, this relationship previous to Phil, if I hadn't had it, I don't know that I would have appreciated him quite as much as I do now. Um, he's very stable. He's very normal. He's very, you know, and, and exceptional, but he's, he's very even keeled. And so, um, when we had like our first date, I was already, which we didn't know was a date. Right. Um, yeah. I was already in a place to be, and he was like, what kind of things do you want in life? And I was like, yeah, I want, I want kids. Like I want, you know, but you might know this, like as a young woman, like there's a, there's a far cry between like wanting like this whole, like, I want kids, this thing that's been programmed in our heads since we like were given baby dolls at age three and like, <laughs> and like having them. Right. Right. And especially in today's day and age where it's like our finances in place, have you lived the life you want to live previous? Are you going to be resentful of settling down? Are you, you know, and for me, I, after that abusive relationship in particular, like I had sung on every stage I could think of singing and I'd visited every continent and country I could think of visiting. I'd done all the things. I'd had all the partners. I dated all the rock stars. I'd had all the fun. And, yeah. you know, for me, like having a child is the most rock star and punk rock shit I can like think of doing on top yes. of the life I've already had. And when I see a lot of musicians now that are just like, oh, I'm going to keep doing this this way forever and ever and ever and ever. And I'm afraid to get out of the game and have a family. I'm like, dude, you don't even know how punk rock it is to have a family. It's super radical. And and so I brought that up to him and he was like, oh yeah, I want kids. And he's nine years older than me, which is why we missed each other in Vermont. So it was kind of a perfect timeline because it's a good time for me to talk about wanting kids and a good time for him to freaking have them. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> it was right. It was right there, right at the start. It was right on the table. That's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. <sighs> so when did you, I mean, how did you find out you were pregnant? Were you trying for a while? What, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So my husband is on a TV show called Bar Rescue. And so he goes and films, um, you know, across the country at all these like bars that need rescuing. And uh, he was in Dallas uh, at the time. And we had been trying for about three months and I actually flew to Dallas to be with him while filming just to like have sex with him at midnight of my ovulation. <laughs> and apparently that was the one that did it. Um, so it didn't take us very long at all. We were trying. Nice. I found out I was pregnant. Um, oh my God, this is such a bad story to put on a birth podcast. But you know what? Let's talk about it because nobody really does. I was drinking. So I literally went randomly after a studio session to doghouse do you know doghouse uh-huh yeah. yeah the hot dogs got, right yeah got like a giant well like i love the um the beyond ones i got like a giant beyond hot dog with two beyond burgers and drank a beer i hate beer i never oh drink beer drank this beer ate this whole thing which is like i'm so full huffed and puffed back upstairs and went to bed for four hours 
woke up and looked at Phil and I was like, I think you should go get a pregnancy. <laughs> You're like, this is not like me. And isn't it crazy how we know like instantly something's instantly. off? Yeah. Like, I was like, this is weird. Crazy. And we had plans with friends that night to go out. And so we went out to the dinner and he got the pregnancy test. And I slipped off to the bathroom in the restaurant and took it and came back out. And my face was just like, and he looked at me like, oh, my God, really? I was like, uh-huh. So um, we had to go see a movie with these friends afterwards. And I didn't want to share yet because it was so early. Yeah. So imagine sitting through an entire film knowing this information. It's just like, I don't even remember watching the movie. <laughs> so- Do you even remember what movie it was? Yeah, it was Us. Remember oh, that? no. <laughs> it was so scary i love a horror film though it was perfect everything was everything was perfectly weird yeah yeah i remember i went to go watch um what is the one with uh, emily blunt and her husband john krasinski (gasps) the quiet place oh have you watched that one i haven't is it good okay it's very good but the it the woman's pregnant and I won't say more because I don't want to spoil it for you, but I was yeah. pregnant when I watched it and I was just like, oh. No, that's God. a lot. That's too yeah. much. Yeah, that's too much. So, so yeah. hearing that you watched us, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I can't even imagine. Yeah. Uh, that movie just scares me just thinking of it. I can't even stare at the mirror without thinking like it's going to move or something. It's a good one. It's a good yeah. one. And it's Thank one you. of those few ones where Black people are really coming out in horror films. And I just absolutely love that because we have been demonized in the media for so long that nobody would dare. And now, you know, it's just like, fuck it. Like we definitely, we can be scary. (laughs) We're allowed. Yes, it's so good. And there's more dimensions, right? It's not like the stereotypical, well, the black person dies first. Like they even make fun of in, um, what is it, Scary Movie? Yeah. Like that's just the trope. It's always like the virgin, right? Or the black person. Like Right, right. And this time it's like, well, the whole movie is going to be about us. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, yeah. the title. <laughs> about yeah. Us. Yeah. And exactly. I and love that the- movie. Go ahead. I was going to say, we're the villains. Like, we can be the villains without being perceived as villains. Like, the expectation is that you don't translate that to real life. So, yeah, I love it. I think it's great. Uh, I think it's time for a rewatch, but I get so scared just thinking about it. <laughs> you got this, bro. You got it. I like watching it because it was filmed in Santa Cruz and that's where I went mm. to school and I worked at that boardwalk where it was filmed. So I just, I love seeing it and it's such a beautiful, uh, like just aesthetically pleasing to watch too. So yeah, I enjoyed it. But anyway, that's not what this is about. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. What do we got? What else? I got off on a tangent. Okay. So tell me about, you know, your first doctor's appointments or being pregnant. What was that experience like for you? It was horrible. When did the research begin? It was horrible. Oh my God. No. It was horrible. Um, we set out to get a black OB because, you know, we knew the statistics that, you know, Black babies and Black mothers are three times as likely to suffer some sort of negligence, neglect, or complete uh, and utter, you know, physical, I guess, to their detriment, like physical pain um, than white women in America. Um, And 
you know, we wanted a black OB to ensure that this wouldn't happen. But, you know, what we got was not great. We are artists. We have very regular health insurance, not like super Gucci and not super bad, just very regular. Right. And um, from my experience, you know, I am not originally from LA. So I, I just want to say this, like, you know, Los Angeles is so vast, has so many people. And uh, I think that we were deduced easily to a number and to our race right off the bat, um, regardless of who we went to in those initial stages. We found a, uh, we found an OB who was Nigerian. He had been uh, he had been in it for a while, been in the game for a while. He went to, went to Princeton, graduated top of his class, and we were excited to go to him. My husband was on the road a lot at this point, and so I was there alone. Our twenty two week scan that we were supposed to get. You know, the 22-week anatomy scan is one, like in Europe, it's the only ultrasound that they will do, period. Right. You know? And you do it at that specific time because the baby is translucent and because you and your amniotic fluid is translucent. And so you're able and transparent. So you're able to see straight through to the baby's kidneys, hearts, like all sorts of little tiny things. Like, does the baby have a cyst on its kidney? Like you can see all these beautiful things. And yeah. so I was so ready for my 22 week anatomy scan. And I got in there and he was like, you don't need a, a 22 week anatomy scan. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, like, you know, do you want like a specialist? Like, is that what you're asking for? Like a specialist? And I was like, no, dude. Like I just, I read a book, like this is supposed to happen at this time. And he was like, no, 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 no. And so I pulled it up on my phone and he started yelling at me. And he was like, well, I'm, you know, if you want an internet doctor, you should go to someone else. And I was by myself. And so I was like, okay, uh, I don't want a specialist and I don't think you're an internet doctor, but I do think that this is a pretty typical scan. He was like, no, no, no. We just check the baby. We check the baby every time you come in and we see what's going on. And then if nothing's going on, then, you know, we move forward. And I was like, okay. And I just remember going home and crying until, you know, that feeling when you cry out all of your tears, like you yeah. cry your, you cry your throat out of your throat. Like my husband was gone. I was so pregnant and I was just like this, I know in my heart that this is not correct. Right. And, uh, that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was that, you know, I had an appointment two weeks later because at that point I think we were going, I forget, but I think it was like every two weeks or something like that, or maybe once a month, I can't remember. Um, and he looks at me as soon as I walk in, he's like, why weren't you here for your 22-week anatomy scan? Like, oh, my God. <laughs> that same doctor? Same doctor. Why didn't, why didn't you get your scan? You're, you're late. Oh my gosh. All of these things we're supposed to do to make sure the baby's okay. And you want to know something awesome? I got it on video because the nurse who was there, I had asked to videotape every ultrasound. And so she has the whole thing on video. And literally she has me sitting there pregnant saying, absolutely not. That was something that I asked for. I fought you on that. And yes. you- hundred percent did not agree to give that to me. Told me, you told me I needed a specialist and he's like, no, 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 no. Uh, somebody on my team messed up and didn't give you this. And like, now it's too late. Like it was the twilight zone. 
And that was the start to so many Twilight Zone experiences um, with our birth. And it was so painful. And, and so, you know what, Phil and I decided right after that, that we didn't trust what, this was, by the way, our third OB. Okay. Um, We didn't trust the systems that were before us in a large city and what we were coming across and what we needed. So we decided to just out of pocket hire an indie staff of like, and curate like our, our team, our group of people. And this is the thing, like Phil and I, we're frustrating individuals because we're artists. So we make a certain amount of money on taxes and we make a certain amount of money that is cash and that is fluid and just like, you know, isn't really considered. And our debt to income ratio is so strange. So we have such basic insurance, but we have money that we we couldn't throw money at the problem. We wanted to be like, we have savings, we, we have all of this, like, can we get better insurance? And they'd be like, no, you have to qualify based on these, these set things. So we decided the best thing was to really start to figure out our team. My dog really is missing my, can you hear him? I'm so sorry. I just heard him. I was like, what's yeah. that? Let me, okay. I'm going to go let him out. Hold on one second. Okay. No worries. Yeah. So we decided to curate a team of people that were going to holistically make this a better experience since we couldn't seem to get the holistic experience in our medical field. And um, so we got our doula and she was amazing. And I'll stop talking now, but she led us to all sorts of things that helped. (laughs) That's amazing. I wanted to go back. So you say you had three OBs. Was the third one the, um, the Nigerian doctor that you mentioned? So were you even feeling like, okay, I thought I at least had some kind of, you know, allyship here, but this guy steered me wrong too, because we're both, you know, people of color. So you would think, oh, he's going to look out for me, right? So were you feeling that way at all? Or were you kind of just like, race didn't even play a factor in that you were just upset that he didn't listen to you. I'm so upset about that also. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, was I disappointed racially? I think that's a really good question. I mean, if you met him, no, because he was very, very old (laughs) and very, very old school. And I just think like, I don't think he could have been as like new age. I hate that term. I don't think he could have been as holistic and wellness oriented as we would have wanted despite his race, because he just came from a time when that just wasn't the jam. You get yeah. around every time. He also told me I was going to have to have a C-section because the baby was big at like three months pregnant. What the heck? He told me I had um, cystic fibroids. He told me I had cystic fibro- fibrosis. I went and got it checked out by a specialist. I didn't have a single fibroid. Nothing. Wow. So there was abuse that went on in that. And, uh, you know, racially, I expected what I expected was safety. Yes. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. we, we don't need to be like homies, but, um, you know, it didn't take long to really recognize also in the waiting room kind of the the kind of people that he was treating and 
uh, how we were being lumped. We were being lumped into a statistic that we don't personally identify with. Like it's, you know, I'm so happy that he is doing that. And I also like, we came so well informed mm-hmm. as to what, uh, you know, uh, what a healthy and safe experience would be with him. And this just wasn't the type type of doctor that you'd be like, I think you're giving too many ultrasounds. Like he'd be like, what's wrong with you? Like, you know, tough enough. Right. Like, <laughs> and like you said, he was old school. So maybe he's like even thinking, why are you telling me anything? Like, right. you know, what do you know? And you're you're like, I did my research. Like you even tried God. to show him. Like, yeah. I did like, my research. I'm, it? Sitting like, I'm like, I'm sitting there like, it's a stretch. It's a stretch for me that you're a dude, dude. So like, you know, on top of it, maybe you could try to listen to me, but just wasn't that it just wasn't that way yeah that's unfortunate yeah so how was it oh sorry go ahead no I was gonna say the two OBs we had before him were also black and we we turned them down so we you know we had done our research to find these people and um at the time pregnant I did a 60 show tour on the east coast in Vermont and so I had an OB briefly while I was there as well because you got to go to the doctor yeah and she she was black and she was unreal just fantastic and it just makes me you know small states like with a small population it just like makes me so frustrated that we can't get get that same kind of beautiful attention and care in Los Angeles I mean I'm sure you can but with our health insurance and where we were positioned in life and where we are like we were not and we were deduced to a number but there I was seen as a person and and it was enough for me to be able to be like uh, while I'm here, do all the scans, do them yeah. all. And she did. So that was fortunate. Yeah. That is so amazing. And it was a woman. <laughs> yeah. And it was a woman. <laughs> uh, totally. um, it's crazy how, like you said, it, even a small state compared to a place like LA, you know, and one of my friends, I was talking to her for the show too. And in one experience, her first birth, she gave birth here in Anaheim. And then her second birth, she gave birth in Colorado. And just those two births alone were so drastic. And one of the things that she said that stuck with me was that her doctor was so calm when she got in there and was like, look at the sunrise, like your son is going to be born to this beautiful sunrise and like so attentive. And it's just like, who would do that in LA? You know, like no, who is going to be like, oh, this is fine. Like she was super chill with her. And it was a stark contrast to what she had experienced yeah. before. And she was just like, what? Like, I didn't even know that this was a possibility. So I know, I know. And even like those who are in large cities that have had really good experiences, it still just also pales in comparison to the attention you get in a smaller state where, you know, I mean, I even think about like the public schools in Vermont. I'm like, they're not public schools, they're private schools. They're just, so, you know, they're just wonderful. It's just a wonderful state to come from. And it's so liberal and and progressive and fantastic. And, you know, I've always lived in cities because I'm a musician and I hadn't really thought twice about giving birth in LA. I was like, we're definitely going to do it here because we're here. Um, But if I were to compare like, oh man, that was, that was a tough choice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, now I want to go to Vermont. Yes, you do. You can come <laughs> with us anytime. <laughs> We're recruiting. <laughs> it sounds, I mean, from what I've seen, it's beautiful and it sounds amazing. So it yeah. sounds like something I'd enjoy. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Okay. So 
with your doula, how did you pick a doula and what, I mean, how much did they help you in the rest of your pregnancy from there on? Yeah. So my doula was introduced to me by a Vermont friend when I was like looking for, I was reaching, I reached out a lot. And I want to say, I think that's really important for women to do when they're pregnant. If you are dissatisfied, you know, post the thing on Instagram, post the thing on Facebook, join the groups um, and reach out to friends. And I did. And she was like, well, you know, my friend Amanda is an excellent doula uh, in your area in LA, but she just had a baby and I don't think she's doing it right now, but you could always just reach out and see if she'll recommend someone else. And so I did. And then we met up and Amanda and I connected just so deeply. Just I remember just like walking up to her house and she was like, look at the, you have the most beautiful baby bump, the most perfect <laughs> bump I've ever seen. And I just remember like crying, like just her just saying that just, I instantly cried because I'm going to cry now. Um, nobody had, nobody had been taking care of me. No one, you know, yeah. Phil and I were taking care of ourselves and we don't have family out here. And to just have somebody else put their hands on my stomach and, and say, things look like they're going along really well for you. That was the kind of mirrored feedback I had been craving and I just didn't have. And so, you know, we sat and we talked and I was just like, you know, I know you're not really doing this right now, but if you'd be willing, like, I really connect with you. And she did, she was willing. And, um, you know, we're friends, we're good friends now. Because who wouldn't want to remain friends with a sarcastic bitch like me? Um, <laughs> she's also hilarious and sarcastic. And, and we're four minutes from each other. <laughs> nice um and she was she was wonderful at advocating but more than anything I think Amanda was so wonderful at uh I couldn't get those one-on-one conversations about birth with anybody that I was dealing with healthcare wise Mm -hmm. I had a lot of questions you know I'm a journalist I'm curious like I really wanted to know and she would sit with me and really take the time to answer them. And, um, it, you know, she's not a medical professional. Doulas are not medical professionals, but they are pretty damn insightful and really well-trained. And, you know, she's also a mother. I just, I was so thankful to have her in my life and connections, you know, doulas have, and, and Amanda had the most amazing connections of who I should be talking to, where I should be going. Should I switch doctors? She took took me to my first first birthing center experience, trying to figure out if that was the right fit for us. Like she she was running around trying to get us out of the situation and trying to save us, and she was fantastic. That's so wonderful to hear. I'm so glad you did get you know kind of a light at the end of that little rough first 22 weeks with you know different healthcare people that were not maybe the best experience for you. Yeah. Um, how was the rest of your team? You said you assembled, you know, a team and, and did you get to keep that team when you went into labor? Yeah. So the next person I'd say that was a part, like the hugest part of our team was imagine your birth, um, Kathy Killebrew birth classes. They are not your hospital birth classes. They are, you know, totally separate. And the way that she teaches you 
uh, how to take care of yourself, how to advocate for yourself, you know, that like a fever is really just a sign of like the, the body fighting something that's going on. Please stop medicating it with Tylenol. Just like spoke all the holistic things that we needed to hear, spoke about water births, spoke about hospital births. Just, she just really is a, um, I, I'd say like, well, a warrior woman, like, you know, she's had quite a few children of her own and she's really bossed up about, about how to do this. You can do it at home, you know, and birth is attacked from this angle of like, you're going to have problems. You must have fibroids, right? You're probably going to have a C-section, right? Like you should probably prepare for all of these things, not Kathy's class. She was like, you can do this. Your body can do this. And these are the things that you're going to need. Uh, in place to make sure you can advocate for yourself. And so she was badass. She was definitely um, part of, of the team. And then eventually, um, Amanda, I think I, I spoke on the live Instagram about this, but Amanda took us to a birth center that was lovely, but I don't know. Have you been to a birth center? No, I haven't. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's fantastic. It has a bathtub. And uh-huh. it has like a bed and it has uh, midwives there and it has a kitchen if you want to make food. So it's like, if you're not doing it at home, it's a really lovely other home to do mm-hmm. this in. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I remember asking this particular person at the birth center, like, you know, well, you know about the death rate, you know, with black, black women and their babies you know, I, we'd really been hoping to have an OB who was black and haven't been having the best experience. And I remember she like cut me off and she was like, well, uh, I would never choose an OB based on race. And I was just like, oh, like, I just like looked around at the whole room differently. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm in like a place where people live in a world where they would just never have to acknowledge any of what I'm speaking about. Like I'm probably safe here and also unsafe in other ways. Like I, I, I'm a person who values community and people and the world and cities and diversity. And I'm in a place that is null and void of like any of that. And like, of course you would never have to think about having a black OB. Like it would never be a need of yours. <laughs> like, right. You know, it's a desperate, desperate screaming need of mine. And right. I didn't say that. I just kind of nodded and felt silenced and was just like, Oh God. So I remember sitting and talking with them for a while and I was like, well, where what happens if I have the baby here and then something goes wrong because you guys, you guys have midwives, you have um, people here with Dopplers to check and see if the heart rate has gone down or anything like that. But like, what happens if it's something urgent? They were like, well, you get in your car. No. And you drive. Yeah. Um, After, oh my God. Yeah. So like, here's the news. Your baby stopped, your baby's heart stopped please go get in your car and drive to California hospital in downtown Los Angeles could be in rush no. hour. It could take two hours. Who knows? You know, oh, 
no, that's no. That's yeah. a no from me. That's a hell <laughs> no. Sinners, no is what I'm putting. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'll do my no. research, but no. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was such an odd thing. It was like, why? And so I said to them, like, why not just take me to the hospital? There's a hospital right next door to this birth center. Why wouldn't I go there? And they were like, well, California hospital has midwives and doctors and they work together in tandem and also you can have um a water birth there and so realistically what they ended up doing was just selling me on their backup plan if something went wrong because i found out california hospital had midwives and doctors allowed a water birth and my insurance would pay for it whereas the birth center was going to be out of pocket so i was like Okay, cool. Bye bye. Now, thanks for the info. Thanks for the info. (laughs) Like, and like, you know, sorry, I'm choosing OBs based on race. Like, I'm going to go somewhere in downtown LA where there will certainly be quite a bit of diversity within the staff and within the people that they treat. We went there and I was automatically in love with the place. And it was, you know, if you've been there, it's like, it's not super chic and it's definitely, it's definitely a place for people, for humans. And, you know, um, my journey got so much better from there. I just barely got accepted into the midwifery program um, for my birth because I was so far along. I was like 33, yeah. 33 weeks pregnant wow. by the time I decided on where I was going to give birth. Yeah. Where is that one located? Oh, I think it's on Grand um, Dignity Health California Hospital, downtown LA. Okay. I know exactly. It's right off the freeway or you can see it right off the freeway, right? I would see it when I I used to drive to work. I would see it every day. Yes. (laughs) My mom mom works for Dignity Health in San Bernardino. Oh, wow. Okay. That's why it always stands out to me is like the same company, but just different places. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I don't know if you can hear the Pasadena parrots. They're very loud. I'm sorry. If you can I was like, there's some them. screeching. It's, oh no, it's the things from us. The <laughs> no. I'm just traumatized from that movie, man. Oh no, my God. Seriously. <laughs> but wow, that is so crazy that, yeah. you know, and what was the race of that person who you spoke to and was like, I would never pick someone off of race? Well, what do you think? white yeah I mean you'd have to be white to never consider to never to even just have the privilege to never consider it you'd have to be white right I talked about it on one of my more recent episodes it's kind of similar in that I always pick my doctors based on gender Mm -hmm. like I will 100% feel more comfortable with a female doctor and that's just because I mean TMI but you know as a little girl I was molested by a man like Mm -hmm. by a full-grown man so men are just a trigger to me you know if I don't know them and I can't trust them um, I'm not gonna go to a doctor that I don't know you know not saying that they're gonna do anything wrong but that's just always something that plays into my decision making so it's similar you know that you have a reason for making this choice and it's nobody like nobody should judge you for making your reason if you are doing it because, you know, I might find comfort in a woman, in a female doctor, or I might find comfort in a black OB, you know, what's it to them? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. and you're so right. What we're that, dealing with. Yeah. that is such a privileged thing to be, to not even consider that, that 
They yeah. would never even think that. So And to be so free that you would tell others that it's ludicrous for them to right. yeah, like choose what they're choosing. Like it's just a very bizarre thing. Yeah. And also it's not it's never TMI to tell me what you just told me. It's not TMI at all. I feel like people should talk about this shit openly. That's why we're here. That's why you do what yes. you do. Yes. And I'm like I just feel like because, you know, we just met. And so some people might be like, why are you saying that to someone you just met? But I've just been very of the mindset recently where it's like, you know what? I I started therapy last year. So before then, I kept everything inside. I never shared. And I, you know, was a, a wreck because of it. And so now I'm in this place where I'm like, I need to share. I need to tell my truths. I need to be open about the experiences I've had because I'm otherwise not being real, you know, yeah. and people especially see me and they're like, she is such a happy person, such a sweet person. You know, they see like that side of me because that's the side I'm putting on most of the time. But there's this other real part of me that now I'm starting to share through this podcast and I feel like that's the only way that, you know, people are going to even feel comfortable talking to me too, if they know yeah. that I'm being authentic and real when I'm sharing these things. So awesome. I, yeah. I am trying to get better at, you know, not including the disclaimer and the TMIs in the beginning, but I just never know how someone's going to take it when I share. Yeah. Things like well, that. with me, you can always share that because I find my entire music industry is all rape. We got this. Like <laughs> me too for, for me was, oh wait, you haven't? Right. So, right. yeah, no. I'm here. I got you. Oh, my God, these birds. <laughs> I hear it. I'm just like, what is going on? They're like, it's a beautiful sunset. <laughs> okay. They're never this loud. This is crazy. Okay. Whatever. Anyway, moving on. We'll, we'll put a little, a little thing on here. Enjoy the Pasadena birds in Enjoy the background. Them. They sound like they're... <laughs> someone but it's fine <laughs> um oh, my no. husband just came home so he got the monitor and the baby so we can go as long as we want okay great thank you phil yeah <laughs> okay um okay so sorry i went off on a tangent so you were 33 weeks at that point yes 33 weeks yeah and then from there i mean you can fill me in in the between, but from there, I mean, you went to 40 weeks and what was it, two days and you still were pregnant, you know, and by, by your mind, you were very much just like, I'm chill. Let's wait. You weren't like very many other moms that are like, get this baby out of me. How were you? How were you feeling? Well, we, we definitely wanted this baby out of me, right. but it was like, you know, I think, we had this beautiful role model of our doula who really, I think Amanda had gone to 42 weeks. Um, Amanda, forgive me if that's incorrect, but I think she had gone quite far. And then had, there was a thunderstorm and the barometric pressure came and the baby came and like, you know, our culture is just, um, you know, I love that we have the research that we have about placenta and the fact that, you know, it can age and it can start drying up and not feeding your baby the food that it needs. And so there are things like inductions that are in place and we have enough science behind that to know that is an important uh, way to uh, extricate a baby if you need to, you know, if you need to get it out, there's ways to get it out. But right. I feel like, you know, it's almost been turned a little into this like premature birth situation based on convenience. And I don't mean premature as in 
premature babies. I want to make that very clear. Um, but premature birth as in like, what's wrong with waiting? You know, they are monitoring after 40 weeks, they're on your ass. They're monitoring your placenta. I think three days a week to see if it's drying up or if it's not working or if it's not sustaining your baby. And so if they're monitoring it and nothing's going wrong, why are you inducing me? Like, I feel like that's my, I feel like that's my number one question in like life anymore is like, why are you inducing me? Why are you inducing me? And that is the first question I would say women need to ask. Like, not like I hate inductions or not like inductions aren't necessary. They are. But why are you inducing me? And there's all sorts of answers that are, I think, great. And I think that there are answers that are unsafe. You know, we're inducing you because you're overdue is not a good reason for an induction. We are inducing you because you're overdue and your placenta is showing signs of no longer sustaining your baby is a great answer. Right. For, for that. Right. Um, and here are your charts and here's where you can see that, you know, the heart is dipping down here or these kinds of things. And it's time. It's just time. Okay. Yep. Totally fine. We are inducing you without any of that can also read as, you know, for me in particular, our baby was due around Christmas can also read as you're going to need an induction around Christmas can also read as, you know, I would like to be on holiday break. And, uh, you know, the business of being born is an excellent, excellent documentary to watch because you can see actually doctors like checking off on their checklist, like before, um, you know, holidays or vacations or whatever happened, like, you know, all the people were going to start giving Pitocin or even all the people were going to start giving C-sections. And, you know, you need to be privy of that when you get that phone call, because I think what is preyed upon what is preyed upon is the mother's ultimate desire to keep their baby safe. We'll do mm-hmm. anything and everything. So the second you call me to tell me that something's going wrong, I'm like, cool, let's do it. But not us because we had been informed and I had just been monitored that morning. And the, the nurse was literally like joking about how comfortable the baby was in there and how, uh, you know, it wasn't going anywhere. And it looks like it's going to be a little while longer. Ha ha ha. And then mm-hmm. that night, get a call. You need to come in and get induced right now. I was like, this doesn't yeah. match up. What's going on? Um, so, yeah. Anyway, it's it's important to, to know why inductions happen. They are necessary and they are not. And we are now part of a culture that would rather your baby be born, you know, on like the 40-week side of things than go to 42 because there's less liability. But there is there less liability? Like, isn't your body a casualty of that? Isn't your baby's distress and how they're born a casualty of that decision? So maybe less liability for them and more liability for you. Yes. And it's so true. Like, I'm thinking how many moms I've talked to for the show so far. I think maybe eight or nine. And almost all of them have an induction story and maybe half of them when after talking about their story and sharing, you know, what their labor was like, they probably didn't really need an induction yet. You know, it was just that, Oh, well let's induce or let's start you on Pitocin and nothing is going to happen for a long time still because their body wasn't ready. And they always say that, you know, like I was, made to I was forced to induce basically and my body wasn't ready and I sat there in pain or in torture or in discomfort 
for an additional day or two just because it was convenient for the hospital or whatever the case may be, you know? So it's so like, I always wonder if my birth had gone differently and I would have had to have been induced, you know, what would that look like? And I mean, I'm still on the path of motherhood and having more children. So, you know, we could still find out, but it is just (laughs) so true that it's like such a common thing. I feel like now where it's, like why well just ask the question then why are you right. inducing me you know why I are you that. inducing me why are you inducing me yeah it's it's why are you inducing me and then you know spoil spoiler alert you've heard our entire birth story there was something going on with avalon she did have the cord wrapped around her neck three times but guess what she wasn't showing that on the monitors this little baby yeah. stood perfectly still like this so yeah. Every 12 hours, there was this like very slight dip in the heart, like very slight. It wasn't jagged. It was just like this very slight thing. And please remember, I was told that I had fibroids when I didn't. I was told I was going to need a C-section at like four months because the baby was big. She wasn't even big. She was born seven pounds, six ounces. So of course, I'm skeptical. I'm fully informed. I've got this awesome doula. I've got this rock star birth class. You're calling me with this induction. I really want to know why. And what was really disgusting about the whole situation, as far as I could tell, was like, I simply just asked for more monitoring. I was like, instead of an induction, can we just come in and get monitored right. for longer? And you can like, let us know if something's going on then. And then of course, like, let's do it. Yeah. And we went and they were like, well, you're here. If you go back home, like, I wish I never went. Like, if you go back home, you will be extricated from our midwifery program and you cannot come back here when it's time to give birth, because you'll be going against hospital guidelines. But if you stay here, you can only stay, your insurance will only allow for you to stay if you are three centimeters more dilated and I was one. And so either option wasn't available. And so I looked at them and I was like, so, so I have to get an induction and like, you're allowing me nothing else. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, Blah, 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 blah. like you know just went off like this is bullshit like this is yeah. absolutely bullshit blah 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 I went off enough for the midwife at the time who is amazing to kind of say I was three centimeters dilated after like four membrane sweeps yeah um just so I could keep my bed I had to I had to get membrane sweeps to keep my bed wow like that's crazy. Yeah. I I, I don't even know <laughs> like what where do I go from there? Like I can't imagine being given those options and then being like these are not options, you know? Like what no. what are you like what has all of this been for? Why would you no longer allow me in this pro like to have this program or force me into something that I'm not ready for. And I know that my body's probably not ready for at least all signs telling you that. Right. Yeah. I always get so worked up. (laughs) Yeah. Or just like, you know, I'm not anti-science. I love it. I love, I love medicine. I love the medical field. I love Western medicine. Sometimes even I think that it's like, you know, problematic at times, but I'm not anti any of those things. Like for me, I just need to know, uh, what's the urgency? Is this urgent? Is this a thing that is an emergency? You know, and my doula, Amanda kept saying like, 
keep asking them, is this an emergency? Because if it were an emergency, they would not have allowed me to, to fight and advocate or do anything. They would have just been like, this yeah. is what's happening right now. But even, you know, at that, that period in your birth, you are no longer transparent in an ultrasound. All of that um, fluid becomes cloudy. So nobody could see the cord. And even Avalon's movements wouldn't alert us to a cord because they kept yeah. saying, well, if it were the cord, her oxygen would be cutting off in this very sharp, jagged, particular way. And none of that was showing. It was just this very bizarre thing. Like, and, you know, had I not been me, I definitely would have been induced the second I got in there. And as you know, inductions lead to a cascade a cascading waterfall of interventions. So first starts the induction, then you absolutely have such crazy contractions because Pitocin is not there for normal contractions. It's there to have instant contractions. So you need an epidural. But meanwhile, while you have the epidural and you can't feel anything, your baby can feel everything. So your baby goes into distress, the heart rate goes up, the oxygen goes down, and then you're on your way to a C-section because the baby needs to come out right now. And that is how it all happens. And I just fought for time. I yeah. just wanted time for my body and for my baby. And it was my first motherly instinct of the many that I have now, but it was my very first one. Like, we are not ready. You yeah. are not giving good enough reason for us to be ready. I don't trust you for maybe some of my own trauma and my own shit. I'll own that. Maybe some of that was on me. And I have some weird guilt sometimes, sometimes about that. But for the most part, I don't because I bought us our time. I bought us our time. I stayed in labor for five days to buy us our time so that we were not, you know, giving birth and she was not born in total distress. And, you know, it wasn't perfect, but whatever, it's birth. <laughs> Right. Um, spoiler alert: birth is rarely perfect. Like, <laughs> what is a please. perfect birth? What right? is a perfect birth? Like, I didn't scream. My contractions didn't hurt. <laughs> I did it at home. There were butterflies released from their cage. Stop it! Stop it! Stop right. it! Everyone! Stop it! Industry. <laughs> you have to come over and hang out with us sometime and we'll give you a nice cocktail. I would love that. I was thinking earlier, I was like, oh, I love so many of the moms I've interviewed. And I was like, <laughs> maybe when all of this is over, I can like host a barbecue and just like have us all meet and like tell each other our stories in like real life or whatever, you know, meet our children. And I was just like getting all excited about it. I'm like, I don't even know when this is going to happen, but I can't yeah. wait. <laughs> oh so and yeah. pandemic pandemic whatever oh. you can still do it with masks we've got a big backyard right. too yeah okay, there we go there you go <laughs> i'm so down i love it awesome. <laughs> okay so let me know a little bit more about your birth plan because i know in you know in reading your post you mentioned the water birth and all of that you know where when did you land on possibly having a water birth and what like what was your birth plan before any of this yeah. So my doula was so awesome. She, you know, her whole thing with birth, like is to empower you into not feeling scared. So like a lot of people would be like, but what if, but what if, but what if, and her whole thing is like, you can do this, like wherever you want to do it, you can do it. Yeah. Um, but her, her whole thing was also like, where are you most comfortable? Like in life, girl, let me tell you, I did all of my high school homework in a bathtub. 
I love it. I would make my mom sit there with the flashcards on like on the toilet, not like sitting on the toilet. She would just sit on the toilet while I was in the bathtub and like quiz me. Like I lived in the bathtub. I love a bathtub. I'm yeah. I love a hot tub. And for me, uh, I have anxiety and when I'm having like an anxious moment, I'll go sit in the shower. Like I'll sit down in the shower and just like, like I'm just one of those people. So for me, I was like, water birth was just, it spoke to me. It felt like the most comfortable thing for me to do with my body during a tense time and an anxious time. And, uh, you know, where I'm from in Vermont, there's a bathtub in every hospital room. California. Yeah. California is so strange about water birth. Um, it's almost like a little old school because it's not as if there's like some, you know, I've researched, there's not like a ton of research of like, you know, failed water birth attempts or harm done during water birth. So I don't know why it's not more uh, visible in, in the birth system in, in Southern California. Um, I did not know that that would be such a thing. Like we, <sighs> We went on hospital tours. We went everywhere. And I was like, can I bring in a water tub? Like, cause you can buy one, you know? And I was like, can yeah. I bring in a tub? And they'd be like, no, no, absolutely not. California hospital did allow that. So that was a part of it. We also really wanted midwives. We want people, you know, doctors are trained to think, to, to be there in case something goes wrong in your birth. And, and we need them to be that way. Cause sometimes right. things go wrong. But midwives are trained that birth is possible for you and your body. And, you know, they're not trained to come off the offset with like, um, there could be an emergency. It's more just like, you've got this. And if there is an emergency, then we hand you off to a doctor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, neither the two shall meet, unfortunately, in a lot of the birthing industry, like it's, you know, you're hundred percent given this hospital birth or you're hundred percent having this like hippy dippy water, you know, whatever. And I loved California hospital because it had them working side by side. Right. So if something went wrong. You just call the doctor. You don't get, ask me to get in my car yeah. out of my birthing center and drive to a doctor. There's one right there. And, you know, it just felt like the best of both worlds. So our birth plan was to go as far as we could with as much holistic and wellness measures as possible. And then if something were to go wrong, then call the doctor. Um, So our birth plan was, you know, do it as if it were at home, even though it's not at home. Yeah. Until until you can't anymore. And then just be realistic. I'm also, you know, a pragmatist and I was totally down for that. Yeah. I had no plan going into it. So whenever (laughs) I hear that people have a plan or had a plan, I'm always like, what's that like? Like, and I'm such a planner (laughs) for everything. And for my birth, I was just like, whatever happens, because I was, I mean, and I talk about it in another episode, but I was very traumatized to even have a child in the first place. So for me, like, I never got that far, you know, like, 
I, once I was pregnant and like, once I was with my husband, I was like, oh yes, I want to have children. But before mm-hmm. that I was like, I never want to have children. I want to adopt. And then, so baby steps kind of got me there. So that's why when I, by the time we were having a child, it wasn't like, I had never thought like, I want a water birth. I want a home birth. I want a C-section. I want this. I just knew I was very scared of having a vaginal birth because of what I had learned in like female physiology and her. And I think the worst part was like tearing for me. It was like, oh, I don't want to tear. So that was like my only thing going into having my birth. Um, and then I ended up having a C-section. So now I ended up feeling uh, like, well, I don't even know what a vaginal birth would have been like, you know, <laughs> like now I, I, I'm still curious and yeah. wondering. So if I have the opportunity, I'll do it. But yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and none of it is wrong and all of it is right. And, and some women tear like crazy and some women don't. And it doesn't really like the birth plan. I feel like doesn't really matter as much as your um, your adv- your advocation and your total uh, I guess flexibility within your own self for like the information that you get while you're advocating for yourself might not allow you to go in, in line with your birth plan. Are you okay with that? Like birth plans shouldn't be the end all the end all be all for what's going to happen for the safety of your baby and and your body, obviously. But at the same time, if somebody's ignoring it, because the hospital system I can speak to is going to ignore it. They roll your, they roll their eyes at your birth plan. And then if you come in with a doula, they're just like, ah, here's somebody else to enforce it. And, you know, it's there to express your wishes, but man, I don't know anybody who brought in a birth plan and it was followed to plan. Like, do you know, have you interviewed anybody who's like, and it went exactly to plan? No. No. And that's why I I think even into the next one, I'll be like, whatever happens, happens. And if I, if I do my research and I'm like, you know, I do want to try a water birth, then like, I'll try that, but we'll see. I, I obviously have been in the position before where it was like, Hey, we have to have an emergency C-section. And like you said earlier, as a mom for your kid, you're at that moment, just like, yes, whatever, anything. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. yeah. And, and you probably needed a C-section. So I'm not saying I like, I want to make it very clear. Like we are not anti-induction. We are not anti-C-section in my family. We're not anti any of these things. We're just anti um, protocol above what actually as an individual is necessary for me. And I think we had quite a few instances where we were more worried that protocol was being forced upon us as opposed to what was individually going on with my body. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I talk to uh, the other moms about so much is just advocating for yourself too. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something very important that I was reading something earlier and I don't, I thought I had saved it in my notes because it was such a good quote and it was about advocating for yourself in birth and how, you know, women of color don't feel as comfortable advocating for themselves when they're in that experience. Because of course, you know, we are often told we don't know, or, you know, like we don't know any better than the doctor that we're talking to and trying to advocate for ourselves. And, like I said earlier, when anything is off or uh, like something is going on with your body, like 
you know your body better than a doctor is going to know your own body. So you are the one that can advocate for that. And I always talk about, you know, being very open and communicating with your partner. And that's why I think you had mentioned it in your live and Phil like fought for you. And I was like, hell yeah. Yeah. I wish that, you know, I had kind of talked to my partner more going into it saying, if, you know, things go this way, or if, you know, I feel a certain way and I can't fight for myself, like I need you to speak up. He's very timid and very like, he will not speak up. Yeah. Yeah. Very sweet. And (laughs) I'm very much like, no, 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 no. You know, like, but going into the next time, I think I'm going to be like, you've got to be that dude for me. Like if, yeah. something's wrong I need you to speak up and I need you to fight for me and fight for us fight for our family our babies so yeah (sighs) well yeah and let me just speak about the word advocating for a second like I think one thing like if we're just looking at it in like the English dictionary like you know advocating is something that somebody else does for you Mm -hmm. if you are advocating for yourself that's not advocating anymore that's called fighting Right. I was going to say, that's actually (laughs) fighting for yourself. That's called fighting for yourself. That's called trying to be heard. That's called, you know, trying to fight for the thing that you feel is right. And when you do it for yourself, people don't see it as, wow, she's really advocating for herself right now. I should really listen to her. They see it as, why is she being so stubborn? Why is she being so pickheaded? Why is she not listening to the things that we think and know are best for her? Right. So I think that's a really important distinction between advocating and fighting, advocating and fighting. And I think the thing is that my advocator, my partner, eventually had to begin fighting as well. We were both in a position that was so stretched out for so many days with so many um, shifts in characters. There were so many staff shifts. We went through seven staff changes, not just our midwives, but all of the nurses that came with them. Yeah right? Seven different times. So we had to plead our case and tell our story seven different times. And when you speak about being a woman of color who's advocating or fighting for herself, you know, there's so much code switching involved because specifically black women are, you know, dealing with this really uh, horrible stereotype of being aggressive, of being angry, of being a bitch, of being any of these things. And then black men, should they be even slightly passionate or upset are a threat, yeah. So who in this situation is safe now, right? So how do you speak up for yourself? And at the same time, how do you advocate for yourself? How do you advocate for your partner? And at the same time, stay safe. And that is exactly the tightrope I felt that we were walking the entire time that we were there. And it was a long time to be doing that between contractions. You know what contractions feel like. You yeah. know what they feel like. I mean, to just go through one and then come up smiling. So nobody thinks no one thinks you're a bitch right mm-hmm. and then go through one and come up and there's a whole new person and you have to be like hi guys I promise I don't I don't want the Pitocin yet and this is why and I don't feel you know it was just uh it was exhausting and it shouldn't be that way it shouldn't be that way and I don't know how to make it any different because at the same time I don't know that they did a bad job you know, I think I was listened to. I think that I was respected. I think a lot of that had to do with who the hell I am. But, you know, and I wish that that was just doled out 
for women at the beginning, but I definitely feel like I was up against protocol, not necessarily people, you know, not necessarily people doing bad things, but just a protocol that was in place that I had to really make sure to knock down at every turn. And that's a lot to do. That's a lot to ask of somebody that's got a human being they're trying to birth out of their body, Mm -hmm. you know? Yes. Yeah. I was, okay. So this is what I was looking for. I was doing my research earlier and I was reading, you know, like racial disparities and birth and just like looking up whatever I could find just to have a little bit more to, to have in my brain as we're going into this conversation. And then this one part stuck out to me. Um, and it's about sharing our stories. So I kind of want to read it to you and then see, you know, why did you feel comfortable more recently sharing your story and how were you feeling before that? Right. So it's this little part that says, nevertheless, Black women's voices are often missing from public discussions about what's behind the maternal health crisis and how to address these problems Mm -hmm. in talking about um, racial disparities. And in this actual uh, article, it just talks, I mean, they had about 100 women and Mm -hmm. it's them speaking with their mothers because they said we wanted to record these real conversations and so we felt if it's the woman speaking to her mother about her birth experience she'll open up a little bit more and they're everything like pre-eclampsia everything so they have just a sample of things that went wrong in these births and you know how they felt their race played into it and in their care and in the attention they were given and how they were listened to Um, And then just in general, the fact that they had never heard from other mothers, you know, that things like that happened or that they felt a certain way when they were in the hospital. And so this article is just like, we have to talk about this. You know, we have to share our stories because otherwise other black moms, other, you know, Mexican moms, other moms in general are going to be left wondering why me, why only me, why am I feeling this way? Right. So I find that, that interesting that you say, you know, you were only ready to share more recently. And why do you think that was, was it, you were just still like, and I know I've been there because I had my son two years ago and it took me about a year and a half to stop. I had PTSD from the whole thing. So Mm -hmm. I still have a lot of those emotions and those feelings and that anxiety, um, especially going into me trying to be, get pregnant right now, you know? So are you trying right now? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm trying, but yeah, (laughs) but it's something that's very much like uh, I know, I know where I've been, right? I've shared, so now I've been more comfortable sharing my story, but it took me a while to get there. So I get Mm -hmm. probably where you're coming from, but you tell me about your experience. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, oh God, there's so, that's like, that's a beautiful question. I mean, First of all, to comment on why I felt ready, I feel like, you know, I'm a songwriter. I'm a stenographer for the times. My responsibility as an artist is to always uh, write about, sing about, create about the times. 
but I have always found like that happens best in reflection. The best, you know, once you've learned the lesson from what you've gone through is when it's time to write about it. And I hadn't learned, I hadn't learned the lesson yet. I, I've really struggled with how much I advocated versus what was best for my baby. My baby's perfect. I did the right thing, but it still feels once you, once you give birth and you see that the baby has meconium and has been sitting in it for days and she has the cord wrapped around her neck three times, it's like, Oh God, like if I knew, if I knew that this was an issue, would I have done it sooner? And I have cried my eyes out to midwives who, you know, in my postpartum checkups have told me, you did the right thing. You waited until your body was ready so you didn't cause any more distress. She had that cord wrapped around likely way before. And if you had just got the Pitocin and dilated to 10 centimeters in like 10 seconds, then who knows what could have happened? Like it could have been really bad. Um, And you gave your body more time. So I've just been working on forgiving myself in a huge way for not acting urgently on something that, that may have been urgent, you know, and her APGAR scores are like freaking out of this world. Like she was born beautifully and perfectly, but I still struggle with that. So I think my personal answer as to why it's been time to write about it, the anniversary of her birth, which is also freaking Christmas, which is also, you know, uh, her one year birthday, like it all just came. And I was like, I've had enough people asking me, you know, I started my Instagram baby mama Myra because I just wanted to form community of some moms. The pandemic hit. I didn't know any moms. I wanted to be able to ask questions and answer some. And everybody just keeps asking me about my birth. And I'm so ashamed. It's felt like I've been so ashamed of, of, you know, this weird battle between the heart and the head is really what it's always felt like. And I'm not anymore. Yeah. I know my daughter. She's 100% brilliant. I know a lot of people say their kids are brilliant, but I have a really advanced kid. She started walking at eight months old. She's wow. talking. Now. She She's crazy. And she, I think sometimes your birth has to do with how your kids turn out. Like, I don't know if that's a theory that could be nuts, but you know, if you got to fight inside the womb to be excellent, maybe you're fighting outside of it. And so I really, truly do believe that. But, you know, let's be honest. Let's talk about Black women. Let's talk about the second part of what you're saying. Let's talk about Black people. And let's talk about our personal feelings of worthiness and self-esteem. And let's also talk about, um, you know, how that plays out in moments of distress and how that plays out with not reaching out in moments of distress, because why are you going to continue to reach out to a country that won't listen to you? Yeah. So, you know, the expectation is already that you will be let down. And the expectation is that you will have generations of women who were let down, who will look at you and say, well, so what? You're having a hard time. I had a hard time and I turned out just fine. And, you know, that is called, and it is a beautiful word, weathering. It is called weathering. And it is called weathering because it is an erosion. It is an erosion of self-worth. And absolutely Black women's and Black men's, Black fathers 
voices are missing from the conversation about birth because we do not feel worthy in a lot of ways of speaking up. And that is for white people. Let me tell you what it feels like as a black woman to look on Instagram. Mm. Yes, because I know my opinion, but you tell me, please. (laughs) Let me tell you what it feels like as a black woman to look on Instagram. It looks like mothers who um, are feeling like they want to post like a cry picture, like when they're having a really bad day, Mothers who want to talk about how um, they don't want to talk about birth. They, you know, that's not, t- tends to not be a conversation. Um, but they want to talk about their beautiful children, the beautiful lives that they're living. They want to have matching pajamas. Everybody is whole always. So that's exhausting. You should, y'all should stop doing that if you can hear me. That right. sounds like hell. Being you know? real. Yeah, just, yeah, go ahead and, and commiserate. And, and at the same time, imagine if on top of that, you did not have the privilege of knowing that you were safe for something like your birth, for something like your OB, right? Imagine those things. And then um, it's not to say that your experience isn't real. It's just to say, can we create some sort of a, uh, a normalcy around, uh, and I don't even want to say it's pain, Let's just let's just call it collective weathering. Can we all just say that we've been eroded a little bit? Can we all talk about how compromised, how absolutely compromised our self-esteem and self-worth is just for motherhood? And then on top of it, can we talk about how compromised it's always been culturally, historically, generationally on top of that? So, you know, I guess like I've had some response to me sharing my birth story, which has been like, well, you know, don't feel bad for yourself. Like this is birth. Like people have gone through, like, like literally people are reacting that way. And I don't mean, yeah, this is not a fucking pity party for me or for anyone else. It's to, it's, I really want to normalize. I want to normalize poor experiences with systems that are supposed to protect us. I want to normalize doubt in those systems and in ourselves. Yes. I want to normalize shame and I want to normalize guilt. And I also want to celebrate all of those things that led to the perfect child. And can we hold space for trauma and our perfect birth? My birth was so traumatic and perfect Mm -hmm. at the same time. Whatever led to that series of events led to my daughter being amazing and whatever your child turned out to be is perfect because it is what you know I don't want to sound too hippie but it's like it was what it's what was supposed to happen we can't control like any of the things we think we can control take that birth plan and how it's gone sideways and apply that to life like you know it's your first lesson really it's your first lesson in lack of control with your child (laughs) (laughs) yep Yeah. So, um, I know that's like a huge answer, but I just, I don't also really respect this, um, normalization of like, you know, I also look on Instagram and it's like, well, everything was cool in my life before I had a kid and now I can't sleep anymore. Give me the wine. And I'm like, okay, like I drink wine. That's fine. But like, I, I also don't want to normalize this. Like I had a kid and now I'm I'm suppressing my joy for that because I need to align with this like super sarcastic, dry, like anti 
mother thing as well. Like, I just want people to be able to talk as their true selves. And I really hope that in sharing my story, which is hard for me to share as a black woman, because I am culturally taught that I am not worth sharing this. It is not worth me sharing this story. And I do think it is important to share it because of that. Yes. Oh, I want to hug you. I wish I could hug you. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) I'm going to hug you too. It's all right. It's one day. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So I feel even more honored. I mean, that you're, again, sharing with me, sharing with the listeners and, you know, being so real. And I, I laugh because on the last episode I recorded or that I released, um, I talked about that too. I was like, we have, it, it was about mental wellness and it's like, we have to let go of that perfect Instagram mom that, you know, you see more. And I, you know, I follow a lot of, you know, birth story, moms of Instagram, whatever, like all those things, because I like to see that in my feed. But then I see a lot of those posts and it's just like the beautiful shot and, you know, everything is wonderful. And it's just like, I did say that too. I was like, they're showing us that part, but I know that they're crying. Like you said, every day they're crying. You know, I know they're crying. (laughs) Just just knock it off. You stop that. You put that photo and it took everything in you to get that one photo with all your kids, like standing straight and smiling. And what it took for you to get that means I don't even know what for your parenting skills. Are you screaming at them in the background? Right. Who knows? But just stop it. You know, like, don't do that to yourself. Yeah. Don't do it to yourself. And I don't, know that my posts are any better like I post you know I I I did not set out to gain any followers on baby mama Myra I'm a musician I have all my followers for that stuff and I really set out to just do this so I could form community so I don't want to say that I'm doing it perfectly but I do think like we do have to we have to break you know when we talk about culture let's talk about white culture for a second all right let's talk about the religious sexual and artistic suppression, not oppression, but suppression that has gone in that culture, gone on in that culture for such a long time. So, you know, can you show the photos that are real? Like, you know what I mean? Or are you suppressing, are you suppressing things that aren't perfect? That, that perfectionism makes me quite sad. You know, I might not have the cultural self-esteem that I wish that I had, but I'm a far cry from suppressing any part of who the hell I am. Yes, I love it because it reminds me of, well, I don't know if it's a thing yet, but there's like in my head, the Instagram mom versus the TikTok mom, because I don't know if you're on TikTok, but TikTok moms are very much like, yeah, my house is a mess. Yeah, I haven't cleaned anything, but I've spent time with my kids all day, you know, like, it's a very real like portrayal of what it is to be a mom. So right. I've kind of been migrating towards like my TikTok moms versus yeah. Instagram moms. Yeah. And also like you're both sometimes. Yeah. You know, like it's also both to like creating a culture of like always being a mess and being a mom that just like doesn't have it together. That's a brand, you know, we don't need to be on brand with motherhood. I guess that's if I could leave with a quote, it would be motherhood is not a brand. It's, it's an ebb and flow, you know, um, 
I don't, I have not expected to be a brand out of all this. And if I am, I hope it'd be for like a crusader of truth with like some of these things, but it's an ebb and flow and it's forever changing. There's not enough outfits, matching outfits in the world (laughs) to really condense it down to one story. (laughs) Like it's not possible. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, So I'm going to stop this episode here because it was kind of a nice little break in our conversation. And I'm going to deliver a bonus episode this week with the rest of Myra's birth story. So look out on Instagram. I'll be announcing when that will be available, likely Friday, but I'll keep you posted. And again, you can follow me on Instagram at birth and stuff pod and you can follow myra's instagram as well at baby mama myra m-y-r-a thanks again to my guest on this episode myra flynn for being so open vulnerable and honest about her experience with pregnancy and birth and telling her story If you have any thoughts on the subjects we covered today, please email me, hello at birthandstuff.com, or find me on Instagram again and send me a message, or however you want to communicate with me, that's fine. Let's talk.